well, I guess we're rolling. So, um, this is my pal Matt. Say hello, Matt. Hello, world. Um, Matt, what? Give me. Let's see. I want three facts about you. Mm. Three facts about me, man. Uh, I would say one is I'm a really deep person. I'm always like, <laughs> anyone that knows me would be like, that's probably the truest thing about you. Um, endlessly sort of swimming in the ocean of uh, deep things. Um, also, uh, I'm a picture taker. I take photographs for a living. Um, and uh, yeah, this is probably really the first podcast I'll ever do that anyone will hear. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, photography real quick. Where can people find you? Ooh, um, Matt Trivet on Instagram would be my work that you would probably want to look at. Um, uh-huh. It's like landscapes and uh, adventures. Nice. Ember Studio would be like weddings and stuff like that that I do. Um, but most people don't go looking for, you know, right. wedding pictures unless they want a wedding photographer, which then you could find me there. Uh, but the interesting stuff, I think, is at uh, Matt Trivet on Instagram. Spell your last name. T-R-I-V-E-T-T. Sweet. <laughs> All right. Well, let's just dive right in, deep guy. Uh, <laughs> thoughts on the universe. <laughs> thoughts on the universe. Ooh, is that the uh, is that the actual question? It's the actual question. Oh man. What? Uh, that's a. <laughs> uh, I think I think you're in the deep end for sure. <laughs> definitely, definitely true. I mean, recently I've been um, been thinking about a lot of stuff. I've been thinking about. Um, how there is sort of this experience um, that we are having as people that is hard to put language to. Um, the poets tend to tap into it. Um, you know, like, uh, I don't know, you, you, there, there are experiences where it feels like the ground is holy. Um, like you're at a table with a group of friends and it's really connected and everybody's laughing and it's almost like time stops for a minute and you just feel you know, like mm-hmm. caught yeah. up into something more. Mm-hmm. Um, it happens sometimes when you're just watching uh, play. You're like watching uh, an experience unfold in the streets where kids are playing baseball or something mm-hmm. like uh, some of the poets write about Yeah, how they're watching like jewels unfold in the streets, right? There's this yeah. sort of like magical yeah. layer to reality. Yeah, I was at I was at a church the other day and the, and the pastor, his son came in the room. He was talking to like the team, like the musicians and everyone. And like he gave his he gave his look to his son, and I swear to God, like this look that he exchanged was just pure bliss and love, and it spoke to me more than any song or sermon the whole day. Mm. This one tiny exchange. Yeah. Now this was very close to me tripping shrooms too. I admit <laughs> it was still kind of there. It wasn't that day, but my brain was still in some kind of place. Yeah, so I like, know. <laughs> that was, but seriously, I get yeah. that. It's like, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. And so there's like these experiences like that that we have, these glances that mean more than the glance, you know? Um, and that, yeah, yeah glances you know, it, it mean more than glances, yeah. Uh, hence the deep world that I live in. But um, I, I'm fascinated with the interpretation of that world and in some way trying to bring language to it, but also knowing that in the bringing language to it, you're sort of taking away and diminishing the experience, <laughs> yeah, right? You're reducing it. Yeah. Always, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and so it's like, what do you do with the deep sort of felt reality that we're all experiencing, and how do you sort of widen uh, and expose the doorways so that people can enter into that sort of spiritual level of the depths? Um, yeah. And, and I do think that there are almost doorways that we walk through, and so recently I've just been really 
fascinated with what those are. Um, tell me how, it's, how, how do you navigate pain? Ooh, <clears throat> uh, I feel it. <laughs> that would be, <laughs> that'd be probably the, uh, the most straight up answer. I mean, yeah, I, I think one of the main things that I do, like if there's something that happens to me that's like, um, intense, like relationally, I think the go-to is to sort of have like a, um, for most people is to have like a knee jerk reaction where you're like pissed off and you want to like let somebody know. Um, I try to step back a little bit from it and feel it and try not to project and first take responsibility for feeling whatever it was that was said where that hit and understand it before I just sort of like react. Um, but first for me, I think it begins with feeling it. Dang. Yeah. Re, uh, retweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a thing. It's like, I think sometimes we think that like you can't think yourself into peace. First of all, like if you're hurt, you can't like you'll endlessly tweet that one, That's you know? Just, okay. Hey. Snaps. Stop the podcast. That's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't. It's a different level. It's like if something hurts you. Um, if you try to just endlessly map it to solve the pain, like right. you're not actually touching the thing where it hits you. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like you'll analyze and maybe understand part of why it happened, yeah. but it doesn't release by understanding why it happened. It re it releases by actually being with it. You know? Right. Yeah. Or, or like for, for me, think about who was right or wrong in the scenario just over and over. <laughs> yeah. And if I'm honest, I'm usually <laughs> trying to make, I'm usually trying to make the other person wrong or feeling shame about myself yeah. somehow. Yeah. And that loop Mm -hmm. keeps me from just feeling it. It's just like this little spinning ball of energy that can be transmuted into anything else, you know? <laughs> yeah, they're like fictional narratives and missing the point, you know? Yeah. It's like they just spin you around in circles until you actually go back to feeling the thing. That's the only yeah. way you actually move through it. Yeah, it's like the enlightened thing is, ouch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, it kind of is, though. It's kind of true, you know? Uh, if you be with that first... And I think the next layer is connect the pain and the feeling of ouch and like where that comes from mm -hmm. to something specific that you need. Um, cause there are like these universal human needs that are sane for all of us as human people, um, as humans. Um, and I think that, um, the sooner you connect the ouch to something that's a tangible human need, like, Oh, um, I wanted to feel seen and you don't see me right now. Mm -hmm. Right. Or I, uh, wanted to feel more connected and I don't, or, mm -hmm. um, I don't, you know, I don't feel safe in this environment, you know, or like whatever those things are that you're needing, be that safety connection, yeah. uh, respect, love. As soon as you connect it to that, it sort of demystifies the energy, like the ground from which the, the pain is coming from. Um, cause it begins with the, with the need and then from that flows into the feeling and then the thought and then the words that we say. And so it's almost like for me, I step back and I notice it and I ask where it comes from. Hmm. Two of the ones that are on that list that really helped me, that you taught me, and I think a lot of it, maybe not all of it, you can correct me if I'm wrong, comes from um, nonviolent communication. Yeah. Um, boy, the, that, the language that yeah. gave me was so important, is, yeah. is still so important. Mm -hmm. But um, feeling seen or known, kind of, kind of the same, not exactly, but pretty much the same thing. Feeling seen and known is actually a need. Yeah. It's a human need. And also sexual expression. 
Mm. You know, those are important things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also, but it's weird. Like you, that's not, it's, it's weird because I don't feel like you like, uh, like making demands and making your needs someone else's problem isn't really a solution either. Mm-hmm. Like being an adult and being able to express vulnerably, mm-hmm. hey, here's here's what I need. And it's also not like anyone else is really to fix. Like that to me is like mm-hmm. the, the really seasoned adult place mm-hmm. to be. Yeah, to recognize that you can give that to yourself mm-hmm. and you don't have to like demand that somebody else give it to you. you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, at least I think that's part of the healthy way of processing through something for sure but yeah i mean that i would say that's probably the most one of the most influential books i've ever read in my life if i could have like one wish to change um sort of the uh, way that we educate in north america i would say it should be man like why don't we teach conflict resolution in public schools right like you don't grow up yeah. being taught how to work through stuff and that's because education predominantly exists in the other um categories of reality like the external um, they don't deal with uh, internal interpretive so they don't go into making sense of your experience and your feelings and where you come from and, right. and how to convey that in a healthy connected way right. um, but I think if everybody learned um, to convey maybe uh, where, where they come from and, and work through conflict um, in that way in public schools it would really change so much in society and it would add a dimension that we really need that I think is lacking in public school system. Shoot, man. Yeah. I didn't know you were a prophet. Mm. <laughs> I mean, shoot, man. I don't, I don't know about that, but I, I do think that that is really huge. I think it's, that's like a major thing that we need as a society. I mean, that's why there's so many, um, I think divorces right now of relationships that go sideways is we just lack the actual tangible skill sets to make sense of our inner worlds because it's not part of any dialogue that we mm. encounter in a public forum. Right. It, it does to, to me, yeah. Well, currently I've been getting a lot into poetry just because for whatever reason I've found like this voice, whether or not it's good or not uh, for the bait, but really enjoying writing poetry mm. and consuming poetry and noticing that a lot of the popular poetry these days has a lot to do with giving like it's it's a lot of like breakup response or in my opinion more accurately it would be breakup reaction like Hmm. it's there's kind of this voice and it's like it's frustrating because it's it's it hits part of it to me but not all of it where it's just kind of like fuck you i need to (laughs) i need to give myself what i need i'm valuable and important fuck you Hmm. which is an (laughs) important it's an important part of the process Hmm. but at some point the the enlightened turn where you say also you're a human with pain and we're connected and we're one. I don't feel like there's a ton of voices out there right now that have that are saying that, but not everyone really it's for some reason it doesn't have as much punch to be like mm. the person who dumped me is a valid human. Like, I don't know. We don't right. really want to hear that. Yeah. You kind of just want to be like, I'm going to take care of myself and I realize my worth. Right. And fuck you. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's totally true, man. And it and in some ways I get it. It's it's trying to like it's this sort of reactive period of, of affirming you know, uh my internal world and how I feel is important. Mm-hmm. Um but there is, is, and, and yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. But there's also a way where you can take a leap beyond that and say so is the other person who hurt me mm-hmm. world, you know? Yeah. And and I think Because that, they're saying the same thing, you right, know, like yeah. fuck them. They weren't giving me what I <laughs> right, need. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's like it's the truth that the the really 
the wise thing and the deeper levels of reality are always putting one thing inside of another, right? Yeah. So it's putting your story inside theirs and theirs inside yours that makes it so you understand each other's experience. That means you can move through something that's conflicting in a way where both people feel respected, right? Yeah. Uh, and so it's like, that's the whole principle that Alan Watts talks about um, with boundaries is the myth that there are separate things. There's really only places where things touch. Hmm. So, you know, the boundary between land and sea, the boundary is a boundary, but it's not the, the separation of land and sea. It's the place where the sea touches the land. And so it's like when you have interpersonal conflict, the key isn't to recognize that the other person is separate from you because they're not. I mean, there's so many proverbs about that, right? Like he who waters others waters himself, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to becoming one. Like there's so much mm-hmm. imagery and metaphor and poetry that talks about that. Yeah. But it's like, you know, if you if you think somebody hurts you and you're like, oh, they're separate from me, that person's a jerk, and then you treat them that way, mm. you, you're you're missing the point yeah. of the boundary because the point of the boundary is to, is to maintain the places where people touch, mm-hmm. not treat them as completely separate dang dude that's so that's such a uh, fascinating idea and i just love alan watts too yeah he's right do you have you ever listened to him yeah yeah um he's he's just kind of a little shit yes dude it's so funny like eckhart tolle is so like insanely monotone he's like yeah the present moment is all and alan watts he is he's more like hafiz right yeah he's just like kind of bouncy and he's always laughing yeah like he has a really raspy voice apparently he just smoked a ton really yeah i didn't know that yeah huh um he was super into psychedelics too but also had like a lot of in my opinion, like wise cautions towards them too. Hmm. You, you might have heard, you know, he the his famous quote is um, with regard to psychedelics. Like once you get the message, hang up the phone. <laughs> I feel like I would understand that way more if I did psychedelics. <laughs> yeah, there, totally. There's probably like ahas happening everywhere, but with yeah. me right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it well, I mean, I've only done shrooms one time but even kind of dipping into that territory is like yeah you for me the way i kind of phrase it to myself which seems to be a good anchor for me is that i it well it's like how you it seems to me that humanity our role our job if you want to say that which even job insinuates sort of a duality of like god is out there and gave us a task which is already kind of false Mm -hmm. because you can never separate God from what is. And so I appreciate the rel- the relative um, like truth and falseness of what I'm saying. But to me, our, <laughs> our quote-unquote job is to heal this level of consciousness that we experience and not to escape it. So even with like weed or alcohol or eat like sex or sugar, it's like, is this, is this helping me stay present? Or bring some kind of insight or what to this level of consciousness? Or am I just kind of trying to get away from it? Mm. That to me is like a really important litmus test. Yeah. Which is why at least I want some days where I'm not stoned so that I know what it's like. Yeah. I just need to know that like I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I'm curious then from your experience with psychedelics. How? Okay. Have, yeah. Like tell me about that. How is that? Um, oh, shoot opened things for you or, yeah. or helped you since what was the message that you got and oh. the phone up oh, oh man um <laughs> well honestly to me i don't i don't feel that i like i got so deep because even my dose was relatively light so i don't at all feel like i was flirting with disaster in my experience i know other people who have had psychotic breaks mm-hmm. and it was just horrible on shrooms um and on the extreme i know people who have had psychotic breaks and snapped and never came back 
Um, not personally, but I've just heard those stories. So I, I just want to at least appreciate that that kind of stuff is, is fire. For me, I could not have asked for a better experience. It was so beautiful. Hmm. Um, uh, I was with safe people. You know both of them really well. Um, and to for me, I had actually just kind of stumbled upon it. I didn't even I didn't even buy them. They were gifted to me, and for me, it was very much about um, like kind of psychological healing, or maybe you could say spiritual healing. I don't know, but it's like to me, the terms always kind of get weird and blurry. Mm. You could say emotional, mental, whatever. Mm. Um, but to because because you know diagnosed with PTSD, you know, assaulted when I was eleven, and that just there's lots of layers to that. Um, anyway, so. That was sort of what was, it was, I would say it was like my intention was healing, even though I really, I was also very loose with expectations. Like in my head, I was like, if this just goes really weird and bad, I'm okay with that. Like I'm trying something. I appreciate that it's relatively, um, what's the word? Um, not uncomfortable. Not, it's not a hot button, but you know, some people might be uncomfortable with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I'd say the, First of all, there's no way to explain the experience. <laughs> like, I feel like I'd be trying to ex- explain, like, an orgasm. <laughs> how? Like, how would you do it? It'd be like, you know, it's sort of like, uh, you know, like when you get your head scratched and it feels really nice. It's like, oh, well, not exactly. I just think it's awesome that I was like, what was the message that you got that you heard and then hung up the phone and your brain went to orgasm? <laughs> <laughs> Well, kind of, <laughs> dude. But honestly, no. Oh. I I'm not I'm not. Too, when, when I say this, I think that you could. One way you could frame reality is is just one big giant orgasm. One big giant like God. However you what do you say? It's just because it, it's cool and it's fun. Like there there is like purpose is sort of a dangerous word because it gets it makes it too serious. Because I think like the origin or the reason quote unquote why is more on the level of fun and play and like pleasure and dancing than it is like purpose and my call in life and Mm. those kinds of phrases. And I appreciate that there's um, kind of a need for that perspective sometimes. Like what, what is my function in life? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, but yikes, man! The thing, the things I saw was it was way more, I think, than just healing. It felt more like a different way of seeing, um, or maybe a higher perspective, a higher and sort of deeper perspective. It was like a felt experience of the oneness of everything, um, and it's almost like I don't. Like, part of me is like I shouldn't put words to that. I don't even know how, um, but it it definitely did something to my head that was def- mm. good it definitely feel felt more open mm-hmm. more integrated yeah and ever since it's been a little over a year now i i feel like certain kind of pathways in my head or just they, they just feel better more creative more alive more colorful mm. um like what some people experience as synesthesia i feel like is way more alive inside me like where um, all of my, t- my senses overlap and I taste, touch, see, smell thing like at the same time, hmm. um, that has become a lot more hmm. alive in me, which is really interesting because 
I mean, you began the story sort of with trauma yeah. and then talking about it unlocking something in your brain. Yeah. And I think like the book, The Body Keeps the Score, mm-hmm. um, who's like the world's leading expert on trauma. And yeah. He talks about... That's uh, what got me into <clears throat> it because... Yep. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's it exactly. It's that um, a lot of times trauma soars in the senses and, mm-hmm. and there are things that we would, I think, traditionally consider uh, like taboo or, or off yeah. the charts, not helpful or... or illegal or characterized as negative yeah and then that book actually affirms that there are these things that yeah. actually have scientific basis that they sort of unlock and and help people move past the trauma that's in those places um and so your experience with something like shrooms that isn't traditionally like affirmed it sounds like had a really powerful experience for you uh and the way you became more like sensually attuned oh, to yeah. the world around you yeah. oh absolutely one of the biggest gifts was seeing that there's sex in everything. What we ex- like, what we experience as intercourse, and I'm I'm definitely like pro sex, like in the regular sense. But the fact that that sort of like feeling or frequency is actually uh, is actually in everywhere and in every moment, even in the worst pain, there's hmm. a little bit of sex, I, and. I know that sounds odd, but it's like somehow that was this <laughs> gift given to me. It's everywhere, so it's like if I'm if I'm not having sex, I can still find it. Well, it's almost like you're talking about a frequency that's more like I, I and, and from talking to you, I think yeah. I know that you mean um, like the frequency of sexuality or sex yeah. is is more. It's anything. Uh, actually, the original word sex uh-huh. comes from um the word s-e-c-t like sect which uh-huh. is where we get the word bisect and dissect yeah. and so sexuality Section. and its original connotation mm-hmm. was all of the ways in which we're disconnected and all of the ways in which we go about reconnecting yeah absolutely the connection there's mm-hmm. that's that's great thank you for clarifying it's like the thing that's <clears throat> the thing that's underneath it that transcends this weird thing where we bang our genitalia together mm-hmm. um that you can always find and in some ways that frequency that is so amazing and beautiful and powerful, sometimes it's not even that much in a re- regular like, intercourse. You know, that can kind of come and go and can feel regular. Um, but, yeah, whatever that is, that sense of everything is very, very connected. It's almost like sex is a symbol of that. Mm-hmm. Um, a picture of a deeper reality that, like, the exactly. whole universe is engaged Exactly, in, like, with- all the time. This plastic table is is moving is you know is actually in motion banging around connecting it's a dynamic connection between mm-hmm. um particles you know mm-hmm. this thing is all of it is we are yeah and so it's interesting so it's like when you go about the work of reconnecting with yourself or reconnecting with people or reconnecting with your calling or mm-hmm. um uh spirituality with god uh, with community uh, with the kind of work that you feel made to do, your innocence joining with the dance of the entire cosmos. Selah. Hey. Ooh, yeah. And that's why we feel pleasure from that, right? Yeah. It feels like you're, um, you know, like in the movie Inception, they have those sort of totems that they spin. Yeah. And, you know, you know, like you're in a dream within a dream within a dream or whatever, if the totem uh, keeps spinning and doesn't stop. It's like this thing that you spin to orient yourself to reality. Um, and I think sometimes, um, there are things that we do, um, like we can miss the mark on what it means to be human, right? Like that's a thing. Um, and there are these orienting realities, these totems, if you will, Mm -hmm. that bring us back to a a centered, more holistically connected 
just because place. I feel like there's a lot there. I w- can you unpack a little bit what it means to you to, to miss the mark? The um on what it means to be human. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't want to get dualistic in a sense. Like, I mean, obviously there's ways in which the mistakes and things that you have are every mm-hmm. bit as transformative sure. in your journey, yeah. you know, like whatever. For, from the highest perspective, nothing is out of sync. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. But there also is truth, you know, and here's what I mean by that. Um, like, well, first of all, the universe is made of whole parts. It's made not of holes nor parts, but mm. whole integrated parts. Mm. And that like from atoms to cells to, to like everything in the entire universe is made of whole parts. And uh, I think that's really, really important, first of all. And I could go on a really long tangent about that. So I'll start with missing the mark. Missing the mark is missing the truth of integration, right? And when we talk about being human, all the sort of psychoanalysis, its whole point and its whole objective is to help you give, like, to to sort of blow away the smoke from your eyes to interpret and see yourself in Mm. your internal world, right? Mm. And the whole aim of it is to help you, like, say you have a, uh, say you misinterpret, uh, like you feel like you had an absent father or something and you have sadness about that. Like the role of the therapist is to help you see that you're actually angry there, you know, like right. it's, it's <laughs> yeah. helping you get to the truth of what's really right. going on inside of you. Um, and so <clears throat> because there is that, like there's an internal reality that we can talk about that gets at the truth of being something, it means that there are ways that we can be outside of what's real. Like you can think about something that happened in a way that isn't really true. Um, and so we can get all tangled up inside as people and uh, even in, in like therefore culturally tangled up too. Um, and I think there's ways that we live less than um, uh, wholly integrated and peaceful and kind and compassionate and connected. Like I think we fail at connecting deeply with each other on some levels. I think we can miss the truth of that. Um, how I started talking about that, I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, what was the question from that, right? Look, I have a very strict rule about this <coughs> podcast. The rabbit trail is the path. Hey, come on. <laughs> the it's rabbit true. trail is the so path. So perhaps we can leave that sort of piece there then. Um, universe is whole parts, and we can we can sort of miss the fullness of joy. You can miss the fullness of love. You can miss the fullness of connection. You can miss... Uh, recognizing that you are as wide as the universe and, and, and being in tune with the dance that is all around us. Sometimes we don't know how to join that because we're so trapped in our heads, you know? Um, but the, (laughs) right. Real for me, (laughs) right. You know what I mean? But it's like, gosh, there's, there's so much, um, the, the untangling in that is the journey of spirituality. It's the untangling of that internal world to get it a, had a more integrated, centered, uh, put together, healed, reality um where you heal the parts in yourself to that you know the whole parts within yourself to build on the essence of what you are in the same way that is what composes the universe right right so i think you and i are very much on the same page that he okay first of all nothing in the universe is actually separate from anything else in the universe quote unquote Mm. um but that humanity for some reason is stuck in a phase where we think we we feel our felt experiences that we're separate. There were all these individuals yeah. wandering around, especially in America. We are very lost in that drama of, yeah. of ego and the individual self. Um, but that ultimately we, we, um, we are connected and meant to find as a, like as a collective, this, this higher path of connectedness, mm-hmm. but that, 
our our job right now is to f- to find that with each other while becoming whole in, on the inside as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like what what do you think? Like wh- what are best practices for like going about that? Like tang like mm. tangible steps. Yeah. Um, for connecting with our our fellow brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's the important step we're working on. Mm-hmm. Because we are one, um, but also becoming a whole part. Because we can't be connected unless, mm-hmm. truly, unless we're also a whole part within ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would begin answering that um, with, um, man, that is such a great question. I would begin with saying sometimes we developed a self, we develop a self-concept. That's part of like growing up, particularly in our culture, right? Mm-hmm. And we have these ideas in our head about who we are and the messages that we get from our parents or, mm-hmm. or whatever about what's acceptable and what isn't. Right. And I think, I don't know, maybe you turn 25 and you realize there's like, uh, <clears throat> there's all these places in you that you're afraid to be known in. And so you start going on the journey of being known and the places that are flawed and the places that are broken and the places that maybe aren't socially acceptable and the places where you failed deeply, right? Mm. And so essentially what you do is you start to unmask and pull away the curtain around the parts of you that are in shame, right? Yeah. And I think as you do that, um, you begin to heal. And I think that as you're on that journey of beginning to heal, there's all these things that you begin, you need to learn to do. Like one of them is you need to figure out how to be fully present to yourself and and to the world around you and to others around you. You Mm -hmm. need to be in tune with how you feel moment by moment. You need to be able to watch your thoughts moment by moment um, and be able to convey, like to communicate what's going on in that world within you. And I think as you do that, like your ability to connect becomes exponentially greater because you can only meet someone as far as you've met yourself, right? Yeah. Um, Hang on, let me just, (laughs) writing that down. (laughs) Only meet someone as much as you can meet yourself. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so I think that um, there, if you're um, open to it and you seek it out, there are people that can hold space for your journey, Mm -hmm. uh, that are unafraid of your mess, Mm -hmm. that are unafraid of how you're broken, and, and they're not going to try to change you. But, you know, it's like the Eckhart Tolle quote where he's like, you know, when each person is met and accepted exactly as they are and treated as a noble, honorable guest, we begin to change, right? <laughs> it's <laughs> so just true. like, boom. It's such a weird paradox. It is, you know? And it's like, I, I think that <laughs> I've been fortunate to have friends and people in my life who have met me in messes and um, not tried to change me. Yeah. but have just made space for that to play out. And to I bet ha- you have stories. Yeah. Oh, man. I have so many stories, you know. Um, Can you give us, like, one? <laughs> um, I mean, uh, maybe eight years ago, I don't think anybody had ever asked me objectively the question, how do you feel? <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, and so I had this very fumbly... Um, as which by the way is an epidemic amongst men in our culture Mm -hmm. like we don't know how to because you ask a a guy like how they feel and they're like you know they tell you a story or they uh, They talk about somebody else but they don't go i'm pissed or i'm sad or i'm uh i feel disconnected from well that's not really a feeling you know like i'm sad i'm I'm hurt you know whatever 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 that is 
And so, um, and that's for the reason t- tired is o- okay to say. I don't know why in our culture it can be like, I'm tired, I'm so busy and I'm tired. Yeah. For yeah. some reason, you can say that, but you, yeah, mm-hmm. you can't really say, like, I'm sad, mm-hmm. I feel hurt and angry. That's right. And that's um, why I began with the framework I did for your question originally is you start to realize that there are these places in you that haven't been accepted, that haven't been allowed. And so, because they haven't been allowed to you, you haven't allowed them either. Uh-huh. And as you start to allow that, it opens up these spaces where you have been unintegrated as a person Mm -hmm. and you slowly start to integrate. Mm -hmm. And as you do, as you befriend the parts of you that are um, kind of pushed aside in the back of your subconscious. I'm putting you on my story. Oh. Just so you know. Come on. Um, As those places are like pushed aside or whatever, as you go into them, I think you start to heal. And then therefore, uh, you know, I, I think it was Donna Miller. He said, it's true that we impress people with our supposed perfections, but we connect with one another in our flaws. And I think the key, Damn, yeah, come on, right? It's it's the, and the Brene Brown's work on shame, all that sort of stuff is that the gifts of imperfection are that we connect deeply in the places where we uh, are broken. Um, and I think that what happens is you start to make peace with the flawed individual that you are. Okay. And you become unashamed of being flawed. Be- yeah. You know? And it's, it's almost like you can be a guest in your own house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, man, I, I do stupid shit sometimes, you know? It's okay. Yeah. And like, I know, I know. and I have people that can embrace that, talk about that with me, be in that with me. And then because you're not afraid of being flawed, um, you also free other people to be flawed around you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like your very present sends a different signal. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so then people like, and from there it ev- evolves into like, <laughs> man, this goes so many directions. I mean, it, it evolves into you recognizing it, your true identity, which is you are the awareness or the consciousness or the space um, where, uh, well, really, that's what you are. You are the one who watches, right? So you have thoughts and you have feelings, but you are neither. Um, like if you weren't thinking or you weren't feeling, then you would cease to exist if you were your thoughts or your feelings. But rather, you are, you are yeah. yeah, you're the one who watches. On that, yeah, come on. It's like you are the you are the space um, in which those things unfold. And so as you learn that, as you start sharing how you feel and you start sharing the places in you that are fragmented or have been, uh, sort of kicked aside in your subconscious, as you befriend that and bring it all out, part of it is you start to realize that you are none of those things. Um, you're actually this, just this space. Mm -hmm. Um, and as that consciousness or that presence begins to develop, what that means is as you identify more with space and you give yourself the freedom to just have your authentic experience as a human being, um, that sense of awareness grows, which leads you deeper into what we talked about in the beginning, the, the expanding of sort of the magic of the universe, like the awareness to see children playing like jewels in the streets or um, like every, every bush is a burning bush, right? Like you feel, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's that world of, of the whole world being on fire, right? Right, right, and, right. And that world is only accessible in the present moment. It's not accessible right. anywhere else because nothing else is really real. You should tell just because some, I know sometimes people, um, listen who don't, aren't super into the Bible because what you said is really rich, the bush thing. Mm. You should just briefly explain the Moses story. Hmm. Yeah, okay, so there's the story of Moses where he's walking um, in the desert, and uh, he notices that the bush is, uh, like, he, he encounters the burning bush. It's this bush that's burning, um, but it's not being consumed. And uh, there's all these, like, all this commentary that the rabbis had on that, and it's essentially, 
that the the miracle of the burning bush became a miracle when Moses became aware of it. <laughs> right. right. And Is so it the real thing there was the the alertness he mm-hmm. had. Yeah, it was the presence that mm-hmm. he had. Mm-hmm. And uh that's there's so much in the in the Jewish sort of consciousness around encountering the divine by becoming more grounded and aware. There's the story of, um, is it, um, is it Jacob who is, um, out in the wilderness and he falls asleep and he sees the ladder that's going up and down from heaven and the angels on the ladder, on mm-hmm. the ladder, and he wakes he up vision, and yeah. yeah, he wakes up and, and he, he says, surely God was in this place, but I was unaware of it. Yeah. yeah. And so the key is, it's that God is always present. Like right. God doesn't show up. We show up, right? <laughs> right. We're know? the ones waking yeah. up. Yeah. And so there's so many, um, it changes the role of like what a missionary does, right? Because people think a missionary is like somebody who like has God and they like take God somewhere, but there wouldn't be a, another somewhere if God wasn't already there to begin with. And so it's like, it sets them up to sort of, first of all, facilitate a relationship where everybody they're trying to teach becomes codependent on them, right? First mm-hmm. of all. And second of all, it doesn't honor the truth of how people come to encounter the divine, which mm-hmm. is actually through becoming present. Right. And, and You know what I mean? And there's a lot of things, tangible, practical, helpful things that help people become more present. Like if you're so in so much pain that you can't focus and be present, you're not going to become present unless you heal that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, that's why so many people leave the church these days and they go somewhere else uh, to find healing. And it's because their healing exists in yoga, you know, and they're finding God there. You know, yeah. it's it's because something is opening in them in those experiences. And so I think a healthy church these days is more a place where people can come and connect wherever they are in their journey to become more um, healed and open in the next phase of how they're developing. Um, some people have trauma and they need meditation and they need yoga and some people are working through you know their attachment style and they're like oh i realize i'm anxious i realize i'm like avoidantly attached and what do i do with that well you know they're Mm -hmm. freaking out and it's like if the church just reads them a bunch of bible verses that they're not going to become more present have faith yeah yeah it doesn't actually help and that's why Mm -hmm. um that's why sometimes i think yeah and vague things like i i know you can filter my like it's not that critical, but like vague things like, well, just trust Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I appreciate that. But even Jesus didn't say that shit. Yeah. He, he was all, he was dynamic. He always treated people uniquely. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't say, he didn't talk to the, the blind man on the mat yeah. um, the same way that he did the, the woman at the well, the same way that he treated a tax collector, the same mm-hmm. way that he treated Nicodemus, you know, meeting him in the middle of the night. Yeah. Like it was always dynamic. And he usually wasn't just like, well, um, I'm Jesus Bow. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, it. it's like, it's a shame because I think what it does is it creates a culture where there are specific things that are affirmed as the way in which you transcend suffering that don't actually transcend suffering. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's God at all. I think that's people naming and things that they say will be helpful that aren't actually, <coughs> excuse me, because it's cold. Um, that aren't actually helpful, you know, and that doesn't, um, that doesn't mean God isn't in church or at work in church. You know, I think he Mm -hmm. is, um, Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, I, I think more, it means that we need to affirm all the ways in which we can develop and grow as people and be open to connecting people and the ways that they can grow and develop. And And that that all is the work of God. Yes. That, that, that is, that, that still has the breath of Christ in it. I mean, we can affirm it and we can still get together and chat and sing songs, and I affirm that too. Like, mm-hmm. I'm really, like, 
I, I'm not trying to say you can't find God in church. I just think it's important to mm-hmm. find God every, and just be okay with that. Yeah, you know? yeah. Find the thing that <laughs> you need to heal in now, and let that journey unfold. You know. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, so yeah. I mean, to go back to your original question, like, what are some things that people um, can do to connect? One, I, I would say, uh, awareness. Um, begin to be aware of your pain. Go into it. Uh, find the places of you that you think are unacceptable and hidden off in the corners of your subconscious and befriend all of that and bring it to people that can hold space for it totally. and then start a massive conversation <laughs> with your friends. And and I think that you'll have endless things to talk about. Um, okay, actually, can I, this is my my latest poem. Did you, hear that in, did you hear that in your headphones? Yeah, I did. It was weird. I think it's my phone because mm. I pulled it close Close to the mic. Do you mind? Do you well, mind this if is, I? This is like a moment, Josh. You oh, know, shoot. like or, <laughs> there was there was a moment um, six months ago or so where like phones wouldn't even be in the picture, and right now <laughs> you're yeah, you're having a podcast and you're on your phone. I know, man. Who the fuck am I? Um, yeah, I was just trying to talk about that thing where it's actually bringing the light of acceptance to all the nasty stuff within you. Um, trend like going into the dark it's counterintuitive going into that darkness create makes more light I don't really know how to explain that I just know that it is mm. um, the, here's here's my perhaps feeble attempt uh, to kind of talk about that thing you can tell me if, if it sucks okay <laughs> <coughs> it sucks it's my latest poem dang it All come right. on come on bring it um, I named my demons Jim, Becky, Cheryl, Ransom, Tess, <laughs> Hugh, Jennifer, Handsome, Him, Gramps. Great names. You don't know those names. <laughs> Try these. Self-loathing, anger, greed, fear, loneliness, regret, rejection, the idea that love is outside me. That's how they sound before they are named. But now that I call them by name, I know they are not me. They are just guests at my party. Some of them can't take a hint. Some are drunk, hiding under the couch anchored at the punch bowl, but I'm the goddamn host of this party. <laughs> I'm smart enough to know not to fight them. I'm smart enough to know not to engage. In fact, when anger starts yelling, I pour him tea, and every time he turns into pain, a baby that burps and I put to sleep, he's harmless then. Just needed a good cry. Yes, I'm the host of this party. I won't kick them out. Instead, I pour them tea, and now I have friends. I'm afraid I won't tell you how good it gets. I'll just tell you to pour your demons some tea. <laughs> I like it, man. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's it. It's it's befriending those pieces of your of your own soul. Um, because side note, the origin of so many psychological conditions like narcissism or, or so so many. Mm-hmm. Or that we fragment pieces of ourselves and we subconsciously label pieces of ourselves as unacceptable. And so we live in reaction to these places that we got this sort of uh, uh, narrative in our brains about what's acceptable or what's not. Yeah. And, and the more you um, only exist in this little fragmented portion of your soul and you only say this little space is only what's acceptable... <laughs> you become so fragmented that you've denied all these other experiences that yeah. you have that you, because you can't go there, you're just left with these reactive patterns of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the origin of so many of those conditions. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, uh, to anyone who's really struggling with anything in reaction to anything, 
I would just say, man, peace to you. Like go into that space and let it be a friend and let it be messy and don't be afraid that it's messy because that is what happens to anyone that goes into those spaces to start with. Uh, that's human. And I think that we think human things are perfect things mm-hmm. sometimes and human things are also flawed things. So it's like the, uh, basically it, neuroses is just like you're compartmentalized you're fragmented mm-hmm. you can't yeah. make acceptance to it so it's almost like everyone on some level is like what we call bipolar where it's like there's this part of me is over here this part of me is over here this part of me is over here and mm-hmm. you can't necessarily let them all be one person mm. yeah and 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 eventually you start to realize that there's no such thing as the one person oh when you go on <laughs> that would go way down i mean um that actually would take it even to make that point would take like a freaking entire book because it it gets so intertwined with quantum mechanics and string theory and what the fabric of reality is. Um, So how do you make the case that you're actually not an individual on some level? Um, Man, I'll try to take a stab at that. Um, First of all, the only thing that's really real is the present moment, right? So right now, as we're having this conversation, there's the things that I see, there's the things that I hear that are unfolding right now. Um, if I'm just present, those are the, those are the things that, it, that are existing in the space between us, right? Um, there isn't a thinking narrative in my head that's a commentary about me. That exists in a moment that isn't in the present. So that identity that I would be measuring myself against is itself not me. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so in a sense, I am not... Because it's uh, because we're not in the future or the past. We're yeah, here. right. We're not so in the future. We're not in the past. Ultimately just fiction. Right. And so that ideal self is a self-concept or a self-image, but self-concepts and self-images are just thoughts that you've accumulated about um, what's acceptable or not acceptable, what has caused you pain or what hasn't. But you're the awareness that holds space for that. And so the notion that you have a, a, a self, I think, it's, it's like, it's more like you're, you're the ocean. And there, there's this ego, this pain in you that can get tapped and hurt. But you're actually connected to everything in the universe. And you're the stillness behind everything that watches everything. And that's infinitely vast. And so most of the time when we say that I got hurt, we're really talking about our self-concept, not ourselves. Whoa. And it's like sort of a fictitious idea that we recycle. Yeah. <clears throat> Eckhart Tolle calls it the pain body. Oh. Um, You're good, Dad. Yo. We're just hanging. That was my pop, the pain body. Yeah. Uh, what's been the most useful thing for you? And like, oh, wait, hang on. Um, I wasn't planning on going anywhere. My dad's asking me about dinner. I'm actually, I'm pretty good. I'm not... Uh, I ate a little while ago. Yeah, thank thanks, you. Pop. Um, my, do you think that? Do you think I could rip that volcano? <laughs> yeah, you could. Um, okay, tell me most important practice for you while I walk over there in dismantling the pain body. Oh gosh, <laughs> small questions, right? Um, more. Do you say most? I'm gonna. Re- this Josh across the room. Josh, do you say most important aspect in dismantling the pain body? Or like practice. Any, maybe just like a quick definition of, of what that even 
is or the paint body. Mm. For for those who haven't or who aren't obsessed with the cartoli. Yeah. Um. Oh gosh. Small question again, right? Um. So I would begin with. I'm going to begin with schema therapy, actually. So schema therapy is essentially it's like, it schema therapy <laughs> words. Uh, schema therapy gives uh, a name to sort of all the buttons in your body or mind or whatever that get pushed that create mm-hmm. painful responses. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, if you're somebody that struggles with uh, uh, approval, somebody disapproves of you and all of a sudden you just shift and mirror whatever it is that they you think they expect of you, right? <clears throat> it's like because there's a schema called acceptance. And when that button gets pushed in you, it's almost like you watch yourself doing things you don't want to do. You're like, I just changed to become whatever they wanted me to be because this like trigger got pushed. Schema therapy is a map of all the triggers, right? Hmm. And everybody, um, because there's self-sacrifice, there's approval seeking, there's, you know, there's all those buttons in our psyches that get pushed, right? And I think that um, the pain body is really the sum of your particular buttons Mm. that get pushed that make you reactive or make you lose yourself. Um, And when I say lose yourself, I mean just lose the present moment and lose uh, your orienting truth. Does that make sense? Mm. Um, And so um, the pain body is basically, it's the pattern of reactions that you encounter um, to certain things like approval uh, Mm -hmm. when you lose it or um, money or or it could be an aggressive person yeah, or being grandiose. It's like I'm I'm the best and brightest thing in the room, right? Um, and if I'm not, then all of a sudden I'm freaking out because I think yeah. I'm not loved unless I'm the best or brightest. Or it's you know right, there's right, right, right. <clears throat> there's all kinds. There's I think there's 16 or 18 of those buttons. Wow. Um, <clears throat> but schema therapy has mapped all mapped all of them. Right. And so when you realize that there's parts of you that live in reaction to certain things, uh, like when you lose approval, because um, I think that's probably the most common. Um, then really what you're mapping is the part of you that's hurt, you know? Um, and the pain body is really that. It's the it's the map of your particular triggers. And it's recognizing uh, to heal that. First, you have to recognize, you have to create enough space where you can see that your button got pushed and not live into the reaction. Right. And in order to... Be to, at least some, like a little bit aware of it. <laughs> that's right, yeah. And in order to do that, you first have to be... Um, you have to first more identify as space itself and and the watching of what's unfolding in you than the reaction. So there's two things in tandem to overcome living into the pain body. Like I think one is being aware that you have one. And I think two is um, not, I mean, really living more in presence or more awareness is disidentifying and not getting your identity from the thoughts in your head or from the feelings that you feel. Mm-hmm. It's going, I am the space in which those things are unfolding. And that is my identity. Right. And nothing can take that away or diminish that. Right. Right. And so you don't ever have to be reactive because your self, your identity, your, uh, is just consciousness. It's awareness, which is by the way, how Jesus identifies people ask him who are you and he says i am right uh before abraham was i am is his answer to Pilate. um when they ask god who god is he's like i am that i am you know um he's pure consciousness and the same is true of you and so when you start to identify as 
awareness or you start to identify as consciousness itself, you become secure as a person. And that's the only way really mm-hmm. that you will ever have a secure identity is by mm-hmm. attaching yourself to the only thing that you truly are, right? Yeah. And it's weird because that security is really, <clears throat> it, it is an anchor in a sense, but in another sense, it's complete uh, space and flexibility, mm-hmm. you know, because you're not saying I'm so secure that I'll never feel pain. You're like, I'm so secure because I can accept pain whenever it's in the, like the the windshield of my consciousness, you know, it's like, okay, cool. Yeah. It's not that you're impervious or like you have like some suit of armor uh, against it, you know? Yeah. Um, and feeling, I want to talk about that a little bit because feeling, it ends up being like, it's a rhetoric and semantic thing, but like, if you're talking about like an emotion, you don't want to be identified with that. And some, like whatever that energetic charge is, some people don't, um, choosing to feel pain, for example, that means that there's some little part of you that is not that feeling. Because mm-hmm. you're allowing it, you're becoming space That's right. around it. But if you're completely lost in the feeling of pain to where you don't have any space around it while you're experiencing it. Mm-hmm. Then you've identified, you think you are the you emotion. You are the emotion. So it's like such a tricky thing because I said, when I, because you just said it, you have to feel the pain. Mm-hmm. But what you're not, see, what you're saying is be that space that can feel it. You're not mm-hmm. saying totally get mm-hmm. lost in it. That's right. You know? Yeah. And that your real identity is the space that can feel it. Right. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, over the, overcoming the pain body is about um, identifying as your true identity. Um, and I think most people like guys in particular, they're mostly identified with the thoughts in their head, right? They think, or we think that we are the endless stream of thought that's yeah. happening in our minds. And so yeah. we get lost and like dissociate from our bodies at times, you know, we're like driving a car, but we're yeah. really like in yeah. the clouds thinking about some crazy yeah. thing. And usually it's something that happened in the past or something that happened in the future or some esoteric idea, you know, idea, whatever. <clears throat> but guys can live perpetually there. Right. Um, and which it's been <laughs> my main Mm-hmm. struggle it yeah. still is like, I, I still get lost there. yeah yeah it's a it's a thing man um and then uh, i think oftentimes women uh, they think they are their feelings right and so they're so identified with how they feel they think they are those things um and both of those are equally um untrue of who both people really are um you're just the space where those things unfold um and um there's all kinds of uh, drama that happens when we when we think that we are the thoughts or the feelings rather than the space. Dude, you're like one of the most. I'm trying to like. Okay, do you remember? This was several years back. Um, it was several couples. I was dating Kate at the time. Ooh. Um, and we were at I believe was it Dimitri and Rachel's. And I remember that was like the first time there's just several several like couples there. And that was the first time I'd ever like gotten to like be around you and hear you talk. And I think you were talking about nonviolent communication. And I remember even in that moment, I guess it was probably four or five years ago. Mm. I was like, What the heck? This guy, what he, <laughs> he's on he's living some kind of way. I remember even taking the stuff that you were talking about in nonviolent communication and me and Kate had like maybe the most productive conversation ever mm. on the way home because just to dismantle we we were able to connect and just be like oh so 
when I do these behaviors, this is how it's translating to you. Mm-hmm. This is how you feel and vice versa. And we just didn't have the tools or the language to mm-hmm. get outside of all the pain yeah. en- enough. Yeah. Again, I just would hardcore recommend that book. I mean, it's like if you don't have the tools to um, you, you feel like if you're in conflict with someone, if you don't have the tools to deeply connect with them and you know that you can do that and, and live your truth and share where you're coming from <clears throat> and honor where they are, then really you only have one option. And that is to talk about how separate that other person is from you, mm-hmm. which is going to do all kinds of damage. Mm-hmm. You know? And nonviolent communication really gives you the tools to honor your experience, communicate where you are without judgment and affirm and respect where someone else is and sort of build the bridge between the two of you, which is really like the perfect vehicle to affirm the bonds of attachment, right? Um, because there's secure attachments, avoidant attachments, you know, whatever. But what makes those secure... Actually, could you like <clears throat> unpack that a, a little? Attachment? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I know you. <laughs> the rabbit trail is The bad. rabbit trail. Uh, yeah, I mean... I, I'm not, obviously no expert on any of this stuff, but uh, I mean, there are people. Oh, shut the fuck up, man. <laughs> no, but I mean, how do you? Uh, okay, I will describe it really simplistically in two ways: um, of the uh, anxious, insecure, or of the insecure variety of how people attach. There's the anxious spectrum and the avoidance spectrum. Right. It's just kind of the polarity. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I recently heard it described like this: um, it's like when you meet someone, you know, uh, like if you go to uh, like U-Haul and you have to get one of those ropes to tie your, your stuff into the back of the truck, how mm-hmm. it like the rope frays at the end. Um, basically the rope, um, if you're intimately connecting with someone, uh, attachment is like the cord that runs from your heart into theirs and mm-hmm. it frays into their entire nervous system, right? Mm-hmm. And once you start intimately, Whoa. yeah, once so you, vivid. it is, yeah. But it really, and it and it's a perfect metaphor. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's, it feels so like vivid to me because it feels so true. It's like, yeah. That is like the best description I ever heard. Yeah. And I don't want to admit it, but it's like you get, you get that mm-hmm. like pulled into somebody. Yep. You know, especially if you're very emotionally um, and sexually connected with someone like that. Mm-hmm. Whew, that feels very yeah. true. And that can happen from an intimate conversation. It yeah. can happen from cuddling. It doesn't have to happen because you had sex on your third date. It can uh-huh. happen because you had a deep conversation the first time you met someone. Right. right? Oh, yeah. And, <clears throat> and that attachment cord, um, as it develops people of the insecure variety have two responses. They feel um, the cord between two people and people of the anxious variety, right. they fear abandonment or they fear um, that someone's going to pull away. And yeah. so they yank on the rope to try to pull you close. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, Bleh. yeah. And the other person's like, ah, oh, gosh, you know, um, like, even if somebody's secure. Out. Why are you texting me all the time? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's because there's a fear there. Uh, people of the avoidance spectrum, they start connecting and they have this really intimate moment and then they get scared and they pull away. Yeah, and they like, start bah. evaluating. You know, they're like, is this person? And they have this like really microscopic view of the other person. They're like, ah, oh, you're going to hurt me. And they're like examining them in this really detailed light. Um, and so usually we come, um, most people actually are secure, but the anxious and avoidant types um, sort of pull on that rope and the, and the classical pursuer avoidant thing is an anxious person liking an avoidant person Mm. and um because it replays 
both people's childhood trauma. It replays the pain body of both of those individuals. Yeah. And it's tumultuous and oh. awful. Yeah. Okay. Here's what I've noticed too. That polarity also exists sort of on a spectrum. Like I've noticed mm. in any relationship, it kind of will go in and out of like, okay, I'm okay here and I'm going to push and like, well, I'm not okay here and I'm going to pull this way. Mm-hmm. So noticing that that polarity exists in a lot of ways and in a lot of different ways in relationship is very true, but just in general and mm-hmm. like broad strokes too. Like, yeah. yeah, this is always a person trying to get that person's attention. And that person's always a little bit unavailable, mm-hmm. you know, like that. Yeah. We all know that dynamic. We've probably already participated. <laughs> in it, yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, but I know I've actually played both roles, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Oh, that is hilarious. Yeah, oh, for sure. And I don't mm-hmm. even know what that mojo is about, but yeah. I just know that, mm-hmm. yeah, that those that, that opposite kind of, mm-hmm. uh, that gravity you end up feeling is real, man. Yeah, 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 and no, that's very true. Um, I don't remember how we got into attachment, um, <laughs> but those are the uh, those are the two main ones on in, in that respect. I feel like we were going to talk about something with that, but I, I just can't place what it was. Oh, definitely. We were going somewhere. <laughs> we were. I interrupted you on purpose. But, but now I, you know what attachment is. Yeah. <laughs> and I said that really fast because I was going to cough. Do you see that? I was like, now you know what I mean. Well, I know, at least in general, we were talking about nonviolent communication. Okay. True. <laughs> <laughs> and then we kind of we started going somewhere <laughs> off of that. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, I don't know anymore. I don't know. <laughs> she... <laughs> Well, okay. How, how about this? Um, wh- how have you, how have you, um, like, kind of applied? How have you found the attachment style polarity? Observing that, like, mm. how how has that applied to your life? Like, again, practical, tangible ways. I'm always trying to, like, <laughs> yeah, because we're we're both such kites, you know. I'm always trying to bring some like gravity mm. to that. Yeah, yeah, like, like a, back a down. practical example. Yeah, yeah what do we do? I mean, I am. I would say I have historically I've been of the anxious variety, so. Uh, I can, t- I've totally gotten caught in like the, I'm really into this chick, but then I'm like too into her and yeah. then she pulls away and then I'm like, Oh, come back. Don't leave. You know? Yeah. Um, and so what I had to start doing to sort of heal that is I had to start, um, a, the, there's a couple things that the, the anxious people have to do. One is they have to realize like if you're anxious, usually it's for a reason mm-hmm. and like, don't turn it in on yourself and like make it all your fault. Like there's right. actually usually a reason that right. you're anxious. And so give that weight. Yeah. Uh, second is <clears throat> I've had to, um, um, notice myself wanting to chase and not and mm. go, oh, this is the pain body. There's something in me yeah. that is afraid that they're going to pull away from me. You're like and a I'm, dog chasing a yeah. car. You're like, oh, yeah, what? yeah. Like closeness doesn't work if you force closeness, right? If you're like, come here, be close to me. Like the other person is going to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That feels invasive, right? Yeah. Like I need some space here. Like, can um, you just ask? Can we talk? Like, yeah. let's just wait until we both just want to be close. Yeah. yeah. It's like the cat is a perfect metaphor. You know what <laughs> I mean? It's like if you go in, like yeah. if you pet a cat and walk away, it'll like come and sit in your lap and be like, give me love. But if you keep trying to pet the cat, it will like claw at you and be like, oh, stop it. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. It's like, no. And like, I think people in a similar way are the same. It's like, yeah. if you keep trying really hard to connect, you know, and there's no space to just let it be, then it's like, you'll unravel the thing, you know, it's yeah. like, just let it, let it be. Um, and so for me, I've had to become aware when that button gets pushed, I've had to learn that I'm the space, like I'm not the button and recognize like, oh, this is a thing playing out for me and I don't need to chase this or I'll actually create more harm than good. Um, and so for that, like if it's really super triggered, then I'll come and talk to somebody and be like, man, 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I leaned in really close and I shared this thing and we kissed and, you know, she hasn't talked to me in three days <laughs> Which now. Which is great because know, we whatever. both had that happen in the past <laughs> week. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, uh, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. But it's like, it's that <laughs> sense of like, man, um, it's it's I'm tough, <laughs> you know. But it's like the truth is, it's it's never it's never a one sided no. thing ever. It's no. always a okay, always two people tangling. Yeah, yeah. That's always the chord and how people respond to that chord between two people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 I think for me, uh, I've just humanized that. You know, it's like oh, this is this is what's playing out in yeah. me. And then I laugh about it with somebody, sure. and it's like you know, it's not a thing. Um, it's just that thing. I was the dog chasing the car again. It's fine. Yeah, you know? yeah it's gonna be fine. I'm not anymore. I've left that yeah. car chasing yeah. scenario. Yeah, dude, dude, it's like you mentioned that briefly, but it really has just to get it out there because I think it's important. Like, it's an honor to me that sometimes you call me and you're just like, hey, I'm I'm feeling hurt. Can I help? Can you can you help me process that? Yeah, or dude, I'm, dude, I'm freaking out. Here yeah. it is. Here's, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, here's the freak out. And, and then it, all of a sudden it's not a freak out. Yeah, and it, like, but okay. it's not, it's, in the, it's not <laughs> like a cerebral thing. It's like, hey, man, I actually just have some feelings I'm trying to yeah. feel. Yeah. yeah, because um, <coughs> that is like men. Men need that. Like, and actually, I, f- I even feel stupid saying men need that. It is part of the human experience. Yeah, that you have feelings and you want to share them with other humans. Right. At the same time, mm-hmm. make sense of them within yourself. Yeah. We do mm-hmm. that all. Do that different ways. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we need to go sit alone under a tree, process and feel it a little bit, and go share it with someone. But at the end of the day, we all need to be able to connect. Yeah. equally with others and within ourselves True. and that's just a human thing mm-hmm. and unfortunately in, in my experience in my experience in western culture mm-hmm. men aren't given permission to just do that i have feelings within me and i want to be able to experience them mm-hmm. and then i want to also be able to express them to someone and somehow mm-hmm. it somehow even people th- uh, like s- make that into like a homosexual thing like what does it have to do like somehow oh you're kind of that's pretty wussy dude that's kind of gay mm-hmm. like that is so insulting on so many levels cuz it has nothing mm-hmm. to do with sexuality and sexual preference it's because we're humans and we should be able to have valid experiences within and without yeah and and i mean not to mention that like we there's like this you're describing like this reality where like sharing your feelings is weak you know mm-hmm. and it's like actually owning your feelings is is tremendously strong both in the vulnerability but anything that comes from a position of strength even comes from being in tune with how you feel mm-hmm. like how do you know that you need to go outside and defend your house if someone's trying to break in it's because you noticed that you felt afraid or you noticed somebody mm-hmm. was like trying to break in your house and so you got up and you took action and so it's like Really what we're saying in those kinds of moments is there are some feelings that are acceptable and some are not. And and I think that like my and, and, and I think that's part of the thing that we're talking about. Like as a culture or as a as in North America, we have a fragmented uh psyche like the collective consciousness in north america affirms only a partial condition of what it means to be human <laughs> yeah, right we have collective uh, <clears throat> neuroses yeah we do and we and then we need to integrate and that's because like of the quadrants of what it means to be human that like ken wilber talks about or whatever there's the there's the, the there's the like empirical truth that you can measure that has like uh something that has like local space where you can observe something in reality, but that's only one level of truth. There's also internal truth that is the interpretation of uh-huh. your internal world uh-huh. that you get to by communicating and by talking to people right. and, and using going, symbols often. Yeah. And going into the depths. Right. Mm-hmm. And as a culture, we have, we've neglected that. That's why we teach Freud in college and not Jung. Right. Like you can't get a degree in union analytics in North America. Yeah. You know, it's, 
and it's because it's a different tier of conscious development, right? Um, it, well, it's yeah, it's not the empirical stuff. It's all that the mm-hmm. soft things that are within that mm-hmm. you actually can't point to empirically in any way, <coughs> right? The internal and, subjective, and that's yeah. like because you're telling this. That's why we need to engage with symbols and images and find language. And like, we often go to like poetry to understand the world mm-hmm. within. Um, that's why I think things like you know tarot cards or something that helps you engage with um your your inner world in kind of a visceral symbolic way because a lot of it is sort of just like beyond language too it's very mm-hmm. difficult to yeah. put language to and I, and I feel like because that probably just released a bombshell in some people's brains when you said that to to unpack the tarot card thing oh okay sure um i know because i know you <laughs> I, you <laughs> know you. i know that uh those cards have images on them, mm-hmm. and when you see that image, if you search for the image within yourself, exactly, y- you can find truth exactly. in your internal world, and that's what you mean, not yeah. like witchcraft, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. But honestly, I don't, I don't even know what rich witchcraft is and what it is. Well, for the for the record, I'm on the frequency of love and light, baby, <laughs> um, and that's all I ever am. But yeah, for me, which I've never played, like I've never anyway. What, what played? Like I've never um, like the. Um, Anyway, I'm I'm tangenting. Like I I have like sat with your mom and she's gone through cards and we've talked about uh-huh. images. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's like a different level in which people do that stuff and that's oh not, yeah not I don't what we're talking about yeah I don't understand actually much at all right now I've just been pulling single cards and just being with them and not even I'm actually the practice is not to add any language because all of the images strike me in a visceral way. And it's, it's, you said it perfectly. I can find this image within myself, whether it's inspiring, whether it's disturbing. I think that's also <coughs> why we end up using, we, we see narrative. Narrative is so important. That's why we, we continue to tell stories over and over. It's because within ourselves and collectively, we're trying to um, reconcile things within us that, um, that we need these symbols for. Why do we why do we keep telling hero stories, you know, something like that? Mm-hmm. Actually, why do we keep telling the zombie story? What is it about these narratives that we're like, we're reconciling something mm. within collectively and individually? And actually, I do want to talk about that. What is it about the zombies? Ooh, good question. You know, like, like the Walking Dead kind of thing? Well, yeah, we've been, we've been making zombie movies. This, I've been having this conversation over and over mm-hmm. because it's so interesting to me. What Man. is it in our collective <clears throat> psyche? Yeah. Our, our collective subconscious or mm-hmm. unconscious. Yeah. I mean, I have some ideas. I would say I, that... I want you to... Yeah, okay. I mean, one, just I'm shooting from the hip here. I mean, I think one of them is like, if you look at The Walking Dead, you have... I mean, a zombie is essentially... It, it's somebody that's lifeless. Like, they don't... Their soul isn't there, oh right? God, dude, you're so right? Yeah. And so it's like, there's this... Um, like, I mean, even think about um, sort of the way that we do <laughs> Dude, industrial. That's so true. Yeah, think about what we do. I mean, it's a journey from death to life. There's imagery there. There's also the truth that the way that we work jobs, you can feel like a zombie. Like, you can feel like you're the walking oh, dead, getting God, up and dude. grinding and doing the nine to five thing every yeah. single day. And there's the war against that <laughs> dude, <coughs> sort of death. You're like a televangelist, like giving words right now. This is great. <laughs> I don't Just keep prophesying, uh, pal. I it don't feels know. so true. Yeah, but I do. I do that. Zombies think all around. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's where you start getting at that part of the soul that like some of us are really comfortable with is it's it's asking the question, where is that in me? Yes. Right? And you start noticing, oh God, and then dude. that starts living and breathing like spiritual oh. truth. It's like where where is the Walking Dead in my own soul, right? Yeah. Um, and I think. So 
sometimes that's the job that you're working or the relationship that you're in, or it can be so many different things. And I think that's why imagery is so powerful because it gets at the internal sort of uh, personal and, yeah. and image is what helps you interpret your inner world, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the a big part of um, waking up to spirituality is, is getting in touch, um, learning to touch the depths of your own soul, right? And I think Ooh. that imagery yeah. <coughs> does that really well. Begin the long uh, journey inward. I believe it's a roomy thing. R- long journey, well, something like that. Journey path. Well, um, even even then, like that symbol is great. Like or it's the Pilgrim's Progress kind of thing. Like what is it that we we know that there's some kind of journey we all need? And I think the journey is actually um, more within... Uh, then we realize, but again, of course, the external is always important. Like for mm-hmm. me, yeah. I I went to um, college in Australia, and that actual physical journey was important to me. But it's the weird thing; it was actually only as important as the inner journey that like sparked from it. You know? Yeah. But I still put a lot of weight and credence in like traveling to going somewhere, having some kind of uh, I don't know. I was I was eighteen. And like going to their side of the planet was that was important for me. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I affirm that. <laughs> How long has it been? <coughs> Feels like been a pretty good amount of time. An hour fourteen. Wow. Say la. Say la. <laughs> good talk. Amen, brother. That was really fun. Yeah, it was.